again. Good morning. If you would, open up your scriptures to Ephesians 4, verse 11. And uh, as we have sang this morning already, God is sovereign. Therefore, we're going to continue through um, Ephesians this morning. Uh, But before we get there, I just want to say I miss you guys. It's weird being here in an empty building uh, preaching to a camera. Um, there's something about being physically together that's just missing, and I've been talking to many from the church. We are all feeling that, um, the lack of hugs, the lack of handshakes. Um, I truly miss corporate worship uh, for how awesome it is to be here and sing with my family, just to have a room full of the body of Christ singing together. I miss that. I miss praying together. And I just want to be clear before we get started, we, we can't just do church online. At some point, we're going to have to come back together, and I I just want to, with everyone else, um, I know this has been kind of the message that we've been saying. We we are looking forward to that day when we get back together in a room together and able to worship together. Till then, we will be doing church um, and loving one another and serving one another and the best we can over live stream. Um, If you're listening right now, as I said last week, uh, I don't know who's listening. I can't see people's faces, so I have no idea uh, uh, where you stand with the Lord. If you're not a Christian or if you don't know if you have a relationship with the Lord, I just want to be clear. The Bible uh, tells us that all have sinned. Ephesians 2.1 actually says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and that's Christian. So if you're not a Christian this morning, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, this passage tells us that you are dead, spiritually dead, under God's judgment, but there is good news, and that's why we come every Sunday and worship together. The good news is that the sinless Jesus, the Son of God, was sent to this earth. He came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for your sins. He was raised on the third day, and Jesus proclaimed that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That's John fourteen six. So before I even get started this morning, I just want to say, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, trust in Jesus. It's the only way to salvation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, um, again, as Thomas said, I thank you for the technology, Lord, uh, that uh, we are able to virtually meet together, that there is uh, a way to get this message sent out to the church body, even as we are separate right now, submitting to what the government has asked us to do, Lord. I pray that you're with us, Lord. I pray that we we take this opportunity, or this time as an opportunity, Lord, to share about you, share about the hope we have in you with those that may not know you, Lord. I pray we don't waste this time, Lord, this coronavirus, this time of isolation. Um, I pray that we, 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 we think about um, the priorities in life, Lord. Uh, where should church fit in to the priorities of our, of our life, Lord? Where should our family fit into the priorities of our life and teaching our family about you, Lord? I pray these are things that are weighing on our heart as we have some extra time to think about them, Lord. Be with us this morning as we go over this passage in your son's name. Amen. So if you would, look at Ephesians 4, verse 11, and it says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Jesus, in this passage, gave the church four groups of men as gifts. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd teachers. Last week, we went over two of, uh, of the people mentioned here. Uh, the apostles, men chosen and commissioned and sent 
by Jesus to start new churches where, they weren't, where there wasn't churches. Men sent out with authority to do a miracles with authority like Jesus, to speak authoritative like Jesus. There are also the prophets, and this we talked about our New Testament prophets because these are prophets that were gifted to the church. These prophets refer to ones who, who were empowered by the Holy Spirit with the gift of prophecy for the purpose of edification, comfort, and encouragement, as well for the purpose of understanding and communicating the mysteries of God's revelation to the church. Again, these were men that spoke authoritatively. This week we're going to look at evangelists and pastor teachers. And before we get started, I just want to talk about the difference real quick, and we might elaborate this a little bit more next week, but, but there's a big difference between the apostles and prophets and the evangelists and pastors. And there, there are many differences, but I think the biggest difference that, that separate these two groups is the apostles and prophets spoke authoritatively as God gave them words and as they were... Um, writing scripture, evangelists and pastors only speak authoritatively when they preach from scripture, when they preach correct doctrine, when they proclaim the gospel which is found in scripture. It's only, we only speak authoritatively because the Bible is authoritative. So I want to look at these two groups. It's going to be somewhat of a topical message today on the evangelists and pastors. I think it's appropriate, though, because there's some questions of how we do church governance here at Country Oaks, and I think this is a great time to kind of cover that. So let's start with the evangelists. These are men simply who proclaim the good news, the gospel. Men gifted in evangelism, right? The evangelism, evangelist is a proclaimer of salvation by grace through faith in the Son of God. That's Jesus Christ. Listen, I want to be clear that everyone, every single Christian is called to evangelize. And again, as we've been saying, there is no better time than now to evangelize, to witness, to proclaim the good news, to tell people about the hope we have when everything is, is, seems is chaotic right now and there is a desperation in the air. We're all called to do this, and I want to encourage you to look for opportunities to do that. Yet, at the same time, there are some men that are especially gifted in evangelism within the church. And I know you probably could think of a couple men. I can think of a couple men right now that are from Country Oaks that are just a gifted. It's like you have to almost hold them back. (laughs) These men are gifts to the church. They energize the church, right? They grow the church because they're out evangelizing and sharing the good news. They keep the church accountable to reaching people in the community, But here's what's surprising, I think, in Scripture. Even though we all can think of someone and kind of get an idea of what the gift of evangelism is, there's not a whole lot in Scripture about the gift of evangelism. Really, there's only two people that are are called to have this gift that we see. I I think there's more than two people in Scriptures, but only two people that that are said to have this gift in Scripture. And and the first person is Timothy. The second person is Philip. Um, Let's look real quick at at Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, 5, it says this. As for you, this is Paul talking to Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The, the other person is Philip, and this is found in Acts 21, verse 8. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist. I believe these two men represent two different types of evangelists, two different types of people with the gift of evangelism. The first one is the Timothy type the Timothy type is a part of a local church. Right? Timothy was a part of a local church, and there's a Philip type. 
Philip was one starting a new church, sent out to start a new church, where there wasn't a church. He's a church planner, a a missionary, or what we call cross-cultural worker. He was sent out by the church to start new churches. These are the two types of evangelists that I think we see in Scripture. The Timothy type of evangelist, again, is a part of a local church. These are gifted people, and like I said, we can think of some within Country Oaks that are gifted, right, to go out and share the gospel. They're a part of the local church. And I just want you to think about this, because we can look at Timothy, and he actually had a specific ministry. Although there are people within healthy churches that go out and just share the gospel— Timothy was sent to a struggling church to be a part of the church, a church that he came to strengthen. Listen to what Paul's command to Timothy. Paul sent Timothy to the church at Ephesus, and he tells Timothy this in 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things that you have heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses, in other words, the things that I have taught you, Timothy, this is what Paul's telling Timothy, entrust them to reliable people, go and teach others, who will also be qualified to teach others, right? Teach those, Timothy, that will teach others, in other words. Raise up men within the church that will lead the church. We actually support cross-cultural workers that do this. I believe Chris and Kelly Lilpop in Poland does this. They've come side-by-side with the churches in Poland and, and specific local churches in Poland to strengthen and raise up young men that will be future leaders, in the churches there. I, I think Austin does this, a cross-cultural worker. He's a seminary professor. He's tr- training, training men in the Middle East, raising men up that will hopefully go out and teach others, right? This is a Timothy-type kind of cross-cultural work. It's Timothy who's working within a local church, and Timothy-type evangelists work within a local church. There's also Philip-type evangelists, those that are planting churches. And this is a lot like the apostles in some ways. They were sent out to proclaim the good news. And we have cross-cultural workers that are doing that now in, in cultures that have absolutely no church, right? In hopes of evangelizing, in hopes of, 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 of planning a church, in hopes of leaving one day a healthy church behind, a healthy established church behind that will self-replicate in the future. So those are the two types of evangelists I believe we see in Scripture. The Timothy type working within a local church and the Philip type planting a church where there isn't a church. The second group of people I want to talk about are the pastor teachers. And we're going to spend most of our time this morning on this and and just kind of talk about what we do here at Country Oaks and what we believe the Bible has told us about church governance. Uh, The pastor teacher, Ephesians 4.11 says this, and, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why do I call it the pastor-teacher and not two distinct people? Why, why not pastors and teachers? Well, let me start by saying, and I want to be really clear on this, there are teachers in the church that aren't pastors. Right? There are people within the church that aren't necessarily given the title or office of pastor that have the gift of teaching, and they should be welcome to teach. God has gifted the church with those people. But I think Ephesians 4.11 is specifically talking about pastor-teachers. One person. And it's mostly because of the Greek of the sentence. And so in the Greek, I just want, I want you to see this. There's an article before every single person that's listed. All four people that are listed. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. And then there's just one article, the pastor and teacher. In Greek, 
if there is an article before two nouns separated by the word chi, which is and in Greek, it often should be translated that are or in particularly. So this could be translated, and I think it should be translated uh, in, a, in, a, in a rightful way, Ephesians 4.11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds that are teachers. It's a clarification of the words. And in other words, it's just saying shepherds or pastors teach. It's what they do. Their main job is to teach God's word. In fact, I want to look into this. Let's look at the qualifications of a pastor. If you would, turn with me to 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. This is what it says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone appears or, 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 or apprises to the, the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Um, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not a violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how, uh, how will he care for God's church? I hope you noticed as we went through that, uh, this uh, qualification of, a, of an elder, of a pastor, they're all character issues. They're all the character of the man, except one thing, able to teach. It's the only thing that's not a character issue. In fact, it's a gifting. It's something that's given by God to individuals within the church. That's why if a young man comes to me, which we've, we've had in the past here, comes to me and says, I feel called to be a pastor. Usually the first thing I do is say, all right, that's great. Uh, you meet the qualifications. You, 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 you have a desire to, to follow the Lord. Let's put you in front of people and see if you have the gifting of teaching. Let's see if God has gifted you to teach. In fact, if you would, turn with me to Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. This is the second list that we see of the qualifications of a pastor. Titus 1, verse 5, and this is what it says. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what, re- what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of uh, debauchery or insubordination— for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, that's teaching, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And Paul and Titus, in the letter to Titus, takes it one step higher. Not only is the pastor need to be able to teach, Paul adds he needs to be able to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. Right? A pastor is called to teach. He's called to teach, and he's called to rebuke false teaching. That's, that's the job. That's the job of a pastor. He is a pastor-teacher. Right? But here's an interesting question. What's the difference between elder, overseer, and pastor? 
Because neither one of these lists of qualifications, I don't know if you realize this as I read through it, neither one of these lists in 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1 use the word pastor. In fact, if you look at 1 Timothy 3, 1, it says this, the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. And then Titus 1, 5, it says this, this is why I left you in Crete, so, so that you might put what, what remained it into order and appoint elders. So what is the difference between elder, overseer, and pastor? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Just the name. There are three different names for the same office. Three different names for the same exact person. In fact, I just want to look at these three words real quick. These three titles, these three names. The first one is elder. In the Greek, it's um, presbyteros, which is the word we get presbyterian from. It just means this. A man of responsibility and authority in matters of religious concerns denotes an older person or someone mature in the faith. The second word is overseer. In some of your translations, it actually has bishop. An overseer or bishop is um, epis, uh, or episkopos, episkopos in Greek, and it's where we get episcopalian from, the denomination, which just means one that oversees or, or leads the church. The third title is pastor, and that's uh, poimene, poimene in Greek. Pastor is actually the Latin word just for shepherd. Shepherd means, of course, one that shepherds sheep. Right? These are three titles in Scripture for the same office. Different names, in other words, for the same person. And let me just try to show you in Scripture this, because it, it's pretty consistent throughout the New Testament that these, these, these titles are interchangeable for the same person. Listen to what 1 Timothy 3.1 says again. It says this, this, is a trustworthy, or this saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. Overseer, there's that word. He desires a noble task, therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, and so on. It keeps going. These are the qualifications of an overseer, which are the same qualifications we see in Titus 1. Listen to what it says in Titus 1 now. Titus 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone's above reproach, the husband of one wife, and, and children are believers and not open to the charge of battery, and so on and so forth. But listen to verse 7. For an overseer. Paul calls uh, the qualifications that he's, this office that's being held here, he calls both of them an elder and overseer. Right? It's the same office. It's the same person. It's the same qualifications for elder and overseer. Well, what about pastors? Turn with me now to 1 Peter 5, verse 1. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. Verse 1, it says this in 1 Peter 5. So I exhort the elders, that's presbyteros, presbyteros, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd, it's a Greek word for, uh, it's poimene, again, that's pastor, shepherd or pastor of the flock of God, that is among you, exercising oversight. That's episkopos, overseer. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. 
right? In this passage, we see that the elders are to pastor or shepherd the flock. They are to be overseers or have oversight over the flock. One office, elder, pastor, overseer. If you would, turn to Acts 20 real quick. Because we see the three titles used here in Acts 20, starting in verse 17. It says this in Acts 20, verse 17. Paul called the elders of the church to come to him. He called the elders from Ephesus to come to him. And in verse 28, he gives instruction. He tells these elders and gives them a command in verse 28. It says this, Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Just guess what word to care is. No one here, so you have to guess at home. Um, it's poimain, right? It's pastor. In fact, the NASB actually gets the translation right, and i upset with the ESV for putting care there when it should be shepherd. But listen to what the NASB says, verse 28. Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Three titles, same office. Well, why three titles then? I think that's an appropriate question to ask. Why would Paul and the Holy Spirit inspiring men to use three different titles if it's the same person, same office? Well, I believe these three titles just emphasize different things about that person or about that office. The title elder emphasizes the character of the man. Someone mature in the faith. Right? The title overseer or bishop in some translations, but overseer emphasizes the function of the person. Right? What the man does, he oversees the church, the local body. And pastor shepherd emphasizes the attitude by which he does these two things. He oversees, he elders with love and care, like a loving shepherd out with the sheep. As a side note, this is one of the reasons we call our elder board a pastoral team. Got a lot of questions about that. I wanted to spend some time this morning talking about it. We call our elder board a pastoral team because scripturally, elders are pastors, and pastors are elders. Many churches, in fact, separate these two things. They separate the elder board and the pastoral team. Many churches see that the pastors are to preach, teach, and counsel, and the elders are separate and act more like trustees. They oversee the church and mostly deal with finances and keeping the pastors accountable. I actually believe this comes from more of a secular business model than it does Scripture. It's clear in Scripture, right? Biblically, elders, pastors, and overseers are the same office. In other words, your elder board is your pastoral team, and your pastoral team is your elder board. That's why we use those terms interchangeably here at Country Oaks. Not only that, I think the Bible also teaches that there should be a plurality of elders, a plurality of pastors or overseers. Let me show you some scriptures that, that uh, um, teach this, and I'm going to go through this quickly. Uh, James 5, verse 14 says this, If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders, plural, of the church, singular. One church, plurality of elders, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And I just want you to know, maybe you don't know this uh, out there, um, but we do that pretty often here at Country Oaks. 
people that are sick within our body, we go and anoint with oil and pray over them. In Acts 14.23, it says, And when they had appointed elders, plural, okay, elders, plural, for them in every church, singular. There's a plurality of elders at every church. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is the end of Paul's first missionary journey. He went over and planted churches everywhere, and he made sure that there was a plurality of elders at every church he planted. In the greeting of Philippians, Paul wrote, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. In other words, the church that's in Philippi, one church with the overseers, plural, and deacons. In Acts 20, Paul called the elders, plural, of the church, singular, to come to him. This is the church at Ephesus. Right? In 1 Peter 5.1, we read this. So I exhort the elders, plural, among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, one flock, one body, one local church. In Titus 1.5, this is why I left you in Crete. I want you to hear this. So that you might put what has remained into order. Right? The circumstances for these churches were bad. These churches were a mess. And so Paul sends, sends Titus to, to put these churches in order. And this is what Paul tells Titus to do. And appoint elders, plural, in every town, singular, as I directed you. I want to think about this for a second. For a church to be put in order, it needs a plurality of elders leading the church. For a church to be a faithful church, in other words, it needs a plurality of elders shepherding, overseeing, pastoring the church. And if there are men that aren't qualified, if you have a group of believers that want to become a church and there's no men qualified, then we need to send missionaries like Timothy and Titus, to go and raise up men, disciple men, so that they could lead the church. That's 2 Timothy 2.2. And what you have heard from me, that's Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, this is what Paul's telling Timothy to do, entrust, teach faithful men who will be able to teach others also. For us at Country Oaks, we have, again, a pastoral team. And our main job is... is It's not necessarily taking care of the finances of the church or taking care of the building or property. Our main job is to pray, to teach, to visit the sick, to anoint and pray over the sick, and then to oversee the church. We have a plurality of elders, a plurality of of wisdom, and we are all co-equals. We we move in what, I can never say this word, so I'm going to try. Unanimity. Did it. I practiced unanimity. Ah, I said it again. I won't, say, I won't try again. It just means we don't move forward as an elder board unless we all agree. Unless we all agree. And if one of us doesn't agree, we don't move forward. And that's because we believe we all have the same spirit, the Holy Spirit directing us. And so we should all be in agreement when we go forward on a decision together. Which leads to a question, though. Are all elders and pastors equal within a church? I said we, we are co-equals in authority, and I think that's scripture. It's a plurality of elders leading a church. 
But I want you to hear what Paul tells Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 5.17, because I think this is really interesting. He says this in 1 Timothy 5.17. Paul's writing a letter to Timothy. He says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. What's double honor? Well, first, let me just say this. I, I think it's very wise how Paul wrote this. And of course, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, so this is inspired by God. Double honor shows that all elders deserve honor if they are, are eldering faithfully. They all deserve honor, but some deserve double honor. What's that mean? Well, the word honor means respect, consideration, high regard, but it sometimes refers to pay. Right? One of the ways you honor a person is you pay them. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here in in 1 Timothy 5.17. Let me reread 1 Timothy 5.17. It says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And this is what it says in verse 18. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads on the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Wages here are finances. In other words, those elders who labor in teaching and preaching should be paid by the church. And before I go on, this is not in my notes. It's awkward preaching and teaching about this. Um, But we are called to preach and teach the whole counsel of God. And since we are talking about pastors, it's appropriate, but it is awkward. I I was thinking of the few things that are awkward to come across uh, to preach. And everyone here, at least in our pastoral team, doesn't like to talk and preach about giving because it's just awkward talking about that. I think the whole idea that that pastors are gifts to the church might be above that in awkwardness to talk about. But that's where we're at, and I just want to answer the question, why? Why should pastors, especially those that that are pastors that are preaching and teaching and laboring in those things, why should they be paid? And the answer is actually really simple. So they do a good job. I spend, just to be honest, I spend probably 25 to 30 hours on a sermon studying to make sure that I, I am I'm proclaiming, I, I understand the passage well, and that I'm not saying something that's coming from me, that hopefully everything I say comes from the Word. Imagine if I had to work a 40-hour week on top of that. It would either do one of two things. It would kill my family, then I'd be disqualified, or I just wouldn't do a good job at proclaiming and teaching God's Word. This is what Alexander Strott writes in his book on biblical eldership, and it's probably the best book on biblical eldership that's out there. No matter how poor a local congregation is, it must exercise faith before the Lord in giving to those who labor in the word. Today we desperately need to capture Paul's passion and vision for the centrality of preaching and teaching the word in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we do, we will gladly render double honor to elders who labor in the word. If we don't, we are doomed to wander far off course in forbidden waters, just as the church at Ephesus did. You know, just a side note as we're talking about this, I'm thankful for our church. I am so thankful for our church as I've been thinking about this. Our church has always taken preaching and teaching very seriously. It's always been a priority in our church. And our church is always taking care of its pastors. There's many times, and I know Craig could say the same thing, there's many times I've done counseling or funerals or weddings, 
And I get asked, how much do I owe you, Nathan, right beforehand or right afterwards? And my response is always this, nothing. My church takes care of me. So I can minister to you. Our church has always been faithful in giving. And it really gives me, Craig, and the pastoral teams just opportunities to minister. Gives me opportunities to study well and hopefully preach well. The side note, 1 Timothy 5.17 is why I wanted the title when I became uh, the lead pastor here, why I wanted the title teaching pastor and not necessarily senior pastor. And it's not because there's anything wrong with the title senior pastor. It's just not in Scripture. I wanted a title that was as biblical as I could find. And 1 Timothy 5.17 says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And that was my job description, to, to mostly preach and teach. Teaching is the main job of an elder. Which brings us back to Ephesians 4.11, which says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. They are pastor teachers, right? Pastors that are teachers. The main job of a pastor is to teach, is to teach. And I want you to, I I just want to drive this home because I think it's so important. We're losing this idea in our culture that that knowledge is important, that understanding is important. And and when you start losing that, you start losing the, the, the idea that teaching is important. Teaching God's word is important within the church. I just want you to hear what Paul tells Timothy and Titus. In 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, these are often called pastoral epistles because Paul is writing to Timothy and Titus and how they should pastor the churches that they're a part of. 1 Timothy 4.13, it says this, Until I come, right, until I come back, Timothy, devote yourself. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best. Devote yourself. Do your best. Work hard, in other words, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker that has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That implies there's a wrong way of handling the word of truth. Paul tells Timothy, work hard that you handle God's word well. 2 Timothy 4, 2 says, preach the word. He doesn't get any clearer than that. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort in in complete patience and teaching. What's the difference between preaching and teaching? Preaching is just louder. Listen to what Paul tells Titus. That is a joke. Listen to what Paul tells Titus in, in Titus 1.16. They profess, these are false teachers, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their words. They are dis- distestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach well. Titus 2.15, declare these things. That's, that's teaching, that's preaching, that's proclaiming. Exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And then, of course, Titus 1.9, which is a qualification of an elder. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And I just want to say, sometimes it's not 
any of our joy as an elder, and, and I say this dearly, to get up here and, and rebuke those that contradict it, but that's my calling. And it makes sense because the word is how God, how, God, how Jesus sanctifies the church. Okay? Ephesians 5 25 says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having her cleansed by the washing of water with the word. Or 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is, is breathed out by God. It all comes from God, in other words, and profitable for teaching. Right? We need teachers. We have the scripture. We need those that are going to teach it. It's profitable for teaching, for, re- for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. There's this trend, actually, in cross-cultural work where, where they are emphasizing not having teachers, where you just get in a circle and read scripture and let the Holy Spirit teach you well, the Holy Spirit wrote something different to Titus and Timothy. They are called to teach God's word. We need teachers, and that's why it brings us back to Ephesians 4.11. And he gave to the church, gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds that are teachers. Pastors teach, at least faithful ones. That's their job. That's their calling. I want to end with this. If you're listening this morning, and Country Oaks is not your home church, you just happen to tune in, you need to find a local church if you don't have one. You need a body to be a part of. Listen, find a church where the elders take preaching and teaching seriously, because that's where you're going to grow. That's where you're going to grow. With that said, I just want to remind you that we are going to continue to have daily devotions. Wednesday, we're going to have a a lesson on prayer. And uh, let's stay connected the best we can. I think every small group has done a Zoom meeting. If you don't have a small group, please write to the church, and we'll get you connected with one. And you can do a virtual small group with the groups that are are going. There are small group questions that are online. And I hope— we continue to grow with each other, even though we are separated physically. I am thankful for the technology and able to be able to reach each other and talk with each other. In some ways, to be honest, the separation has brought a lot of us closer because I feel like we're intentionally reaching out more than we were beforehand. A lot of ways, the busyness of life has settled down, and I pray this is a time to refocus and rethink what are the priorities of life. Have I let busyness get in the way of church? Have I let busyness get in the way of me as a parent faithfully teaching my children about God? And if that's true, repent and move on and let's, let's, let's change our habits in this season right now and as we move out of this season, as we come back together. Let's not fall right back into the same busyness. That's my prayer for the church. I thank you again. It is awkward to talk about giving, but I wanted to take the opportunity just to thank you for my family. I know Craig would say the same thing, and everyone that is at staff here at Country Oak, how thankful we are for the faithful giving here at Country Oaks. We are blessed to minister 
in a church where you give us plenty of opportunity to minister and to study well and hopefully teach and preach well. So thank you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, Lord, as we continue to move through Ephesians, God, like I said, like we sang this morning, you are sovereign, you are in control. Lord, we know that there are those in the world right now because of this virus that are hurting, Lord. Those that have lost loved ones, those that are just sick, those that are quarantined and can't go to work, and so financially they are hurting, Lord. God, I pray through all of this, you are glorified, God. That is our prayer. I pray that the church is faithful. The church is faithful and loving one another, and we're seeing that, Lord. We're seeing people love each other and take care of each other and, and check in on each other, Lord. But I also pray, Lord, that we are faithful to proclaim the good news, Lord. We know that there are gifted evangelists within the church, but we're all called to evangelize. I pray that there are many, many saved through this season, Lord. God, glorify yourself. God, even even through suffering, even through hard times, glorify yourself. May your name be known, Lord, in our country, in our town, Lord, at our church, to our neighbors. Help us see the opportunities that you're giving us. In your son's name, amen.